Good morning, and thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Beyond the Pink Cloud. I'm your host, Dr. Alice Kirby, and today I have with me a very special guest. He is a published author, a public speaker, a financial advisor, and happens to also be my big brother. This is Stephen Kirby, who is the author of the recently published book, You Are the Change, A Beginner's Guide to Socially Responsible Investing. Good morning, Stefan. Good morning, Dr. Sis. <laughs> thanks for coming on this morning. Well, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm excited. This is going to be fun. Yeah, it will be fun. And I'm super pumped for you and proud, even, proud of you and excited for you with this book. So for the, I know you've been a financial advisor for what, like 20, 20 some years? Yep. Okay. And then when did you start getting into the socially responsible investing? And could you talk a little bit about what that is? Yeah. Uh, first off, I'm super proud of you. I've been listening to these podcasts and watching your live videos. Y y you're amazing. And uh, I know everybody listening already knows that, but um, yeah, you're amazing. And to see your transformation over the last decade has just been a blessing to watch and see. So yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm pumped to be here and I'm pumped to watch uh, the changes as you're, as, you're, uh, as you're growing this and, and turn it into what you want it to be. But the book, yeah, the book, Simple, my background essentially is a social responsible investing is something I got turned on to about 15 years ago to a person at church I came up to when I said I was doing financial planning and said, hey, look, I've got some some areas that I'd like to remove from my portfolio from a Christian standpoint. And I thought, wow, that that makes sense. If you're a Christian and you don't believe in you know pornography, tobacco, whatever it may be, alcohol, why would you want to invest in those things? And so that concept really really stuck with me. But the, uh, the concern at that time or the issue at that time was the investments at that stage just weren't there. So there's been this big myth you know, around social responsible investing for a long time that by, you know, by utilizing some of these social responsible investing tools that you're missing out on return or you're going to get lagging returns. And that might've been the case in the past, but it's the game has changed substantially over the last five to seven years and maybe a little bit longer, but let's say seven to 10 years where that's just, that's no longer the case. And I always tell people it's like for far too long, we've just been sold this lie that you can make money in the market or save the planet, but you can't do both. Hmm. And that's just false. That's no longer the case. It's no longer the case. So I got turned on to it years ago. I didn't dabble with it um, as much as I have recently. Uh, just briefly, I guess, historical background on it. Again, it, because of the changes in it over the last few years, still, I never really was that interested or didn't put a lot of focus in aligning my clients' portfolios with their values. But uh, a few years back, my wife and I became vegan, so we took meat and dairy and egg out of our, our diet. And really, it was just for health reasons at that point. And by going down that rabbit, rabbit hole, I started meeting some other folks and, and meeting people that maybe had different social perspectives than I had, um, you know, just my background was more Christian conservative, but that's shifted dramatically over the last few years by, again, meeting people, uh, being in contact with people with different social views. So it's funny how something as simple as, uh, you know, following this vegan diet just for diet purposes changed my whole social perspective on a lot of, uh, a lot of issues. And then obviously as somebody that, uh, again, once you start to take the meat out and you're no longer viewing food from that standpoint, it started making me question, wow, where is this food coming from? How is this being processed? And it just concerned me to the point of, well, what do you do about it? And that really kind of took this thing by surprise or took this thing by storm of, okay, how do you do a change? How do you make change? And uh, Facebook isn't the answer. You know, people <laughs> around on Facebook like, oh, don't eat meat. Okay, meat is murder. <laughs> it's it's just you know it's it's just not a productive format it just doesn't get anything done because does my does my uh, vegan t-shirt does that help 
Yeah, I always tell folks, hey, it's great that you got the T-shirt and you run the 5K and all, but, you know, if you really want to impact companies, you got to hit them in the wallet. I mean, that's just the bottom line. You got to be, you, you got to hit them in the wallet. You got to impact their the money that's coming in and going out. So that's kind of the background on it. Again, it's funny how uh, taking meat out of the diet and, and, and following that diet really just opened my mind up to social change in general. And uh, it's been a wild ride ever since. That's great. And I think because people can't see you because we're not using the video, it's it's kind of fun to talk about your physical a- attributes because you're not really a, a typical sort of vegan guy. Stefan's like, what, six, seven, you're a, a, like a Muay Thai fighter, you, or you were at one point, always been to, you know, weightlifting and the gym and kind of, I don't think you you sort of fit like what people think of as a vegan. So I think that's kind of fun to mention that even just from a dietary standpoint, you and you know, and your family as well as your two two year old daughter have been able to get like all the nutrients you need, live healthy, happy lives, have better like values with cholesterol and all that from just switching to a plant based diet. Not that I'm advocating everyone needs to do that, but I think it's noteworthy. I mean, it's kind of interesting to point out. Yeah, no, I I, I agree with you, and and again, I, I I use the term vegan, and I'm sure this is gonna get me in trouble with some of my 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 friends. Um, but it, again, it, it's it's more the diet for me. Plant based diet is probably a better label. Yeah, you know, again, it, it was a dietary thing, but no, it was it was incremental. I mean, I lost probably thirty five pounds, and it just felt amazing. And it just uh, again, it created this weird. Um, I don't know. I went through some other changes as well, but it just created this unattachment, this disattachment to like the physical. Like, ah, do you look like Men's Health or like Muscle Magazine? And I just lost that interest for that, and just felt healthy. I felt better about the way I, I just felt better. And, that, and that's what started it. I mean, just again, a, a quick history lesson on it is I've got a 20-year-old son, as you know, Keegan, and I've got a two-year-old daughter. So a few years ago when my wife was was pregnant, I just remember trying to get up off the floor and I was in pretty good shape. I mean, I worked out pretty consistently. I felt I had the quote unquote healthy look, but I remember trying to get up off the floor or, or walk up and down the stairs and I was in pain all the time. And I'm like, what is happening? And I literally had almost an anxiety attack thinking, what am I going to do 10 years from now? How am I going to play with this girl? And I just, I I watched the video uh, and it just kind of all just came together. of like, okay, maybe you should try this. Maybe take these things out of your diet and see what happens. So I literally overnight just cut all the things out and said, let's see what happens. And within a week, I felt totally different. And, uh, And that's what kind of changed my mind on everything. So yeah, it was more of a health-driven piece. So again, I'm not recommending it for everybody. Do do what you want to do, eat what you want to eat. But for me, it was instrumental in weight loss, and again, just feeling better about just feeling better about being able to walk around and function. Yeah. And now I feel like I've lost like 10 years, you know, in, in, in a positive way. So that with the uh, intermittent fasting that uh, I know you've been playing with. So I want to hear your results on it because I know my results were were maybe dramatic. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> unfair to you. I'm like, what's wrong with you? It's working. I know. You're like, I lost like 50 pounds in two days. What do you mean you're not losing weight? <laughs> but I got to say, I feel awesome doing it. Kind of like you just described, I feel way healthier and just I have more energy. My body feels better. I have less pain. I can do harder workouts again with less back pain. Not to do a segue, but I'm pretty pro the intermittent fasting. And again, I don't like say everyone should do this. For me, I tried it to see like, oh, let's see what happens. And uh, yeah, I like what's happening. I feel good. Well, that's what I recommend people. Just I've dabbled with everything. Try, try what you feel comfortable with. See what works for your body. Don't. Yep. I find that like a lot of things. So again, I, again, I've gone down this huge uh, 
this huge rabbit hole, this huge transformation of labels and how these labels that we toss something almost are like a religion. They just kind of create these boxes that you throw yourself like I'm a vegan. Okay, that's great. But I, I don't know. It, it, to each their own. Do what you feel comfortable with. The intermittent fasting was something I just wanted to attempt and it, it worked phenomenal for me, but it may not work for everybody. Um, yeah. It may not have the same results for everybody. So I, I just recommend people dabble with some stuff, be open-minded to it. Don't lock yourself in anything because what we also don't need in this complex world already is these rigid rules or like, oh man, I ate before 10 o'clock today and then you're depressed. And it's like, that's just ridiculous. It um, is. It is. And I like approaching things as experiments too. Like, let me try this for five days. Let me try it for two weeks. Let me see how my body responds. Cause that really is the, that's the best, you know, clue for how we should proceed more than reading a million books. It's like, well, how does my body respond to this? And just to have sort of that curiosity as we go into it, I think is, is more fun that way. And it just takes a lot of the pressure off. Like you were saying, instead of locking ourselves in these boxes, we're like, no, I'm doing an experiment on myself. Like, why not? What else are we doing? Yeah. And the intermittent fasting one, again, the, the perk of it is that first meal of the day, boy, mm. <laughs> it's like a little, uh, it's like a little Christmas <laughs> present. Like, Cause it is, I am going to wreak <laughs> havoc on this plate of food right now. <laughs> um, but I do love kind of steering back to the topic of your book. I love how changing your diet for health reasons also sort of changed your, your, your kind of your social, I'm not sure how you described it, kind of your social outlook and sort of brought you back to, to thinking about socially responsible investing and like how you could help some of these new people that you were meeting who were kind of very like, you know, I, I want to do these conscious change for the, for the planet and for my kids and for generations moving forward, but then maybe had no idea or had a little idea of how their financial portfolio was playing into that. Is that fair to say? Well, that's, that's the key piece. I mean, when I sit down with people and I start having conversations, of, here's a good example. So I was on a, a, a forum the other day, and again, it was a vegan forum. They were talking about vegan dental floss, right? And it's like, okay, I'm all for it. I'm all for every little change that you can make. I'm all for everything counts, right? But the amount of energy that we were pouring into the vegan dental floss, and I'm like, okay, listen, guys, this whole, everybody on this forum, if we added up all our money together, let's say there's a $2 million worth of investments amongst all of us, all right? It's easy. I can go to the store, spend two bucks, and put the vegan dental floss in my cart and solve that problem. But there's probably a million dollars right now in this group that is invested in all the companies making non-vegan dental floss, right? So understanding that, again, you're making these changes, or, or a good example I always tell folks is the fact that you go to the store and you're not spending a couple bucks on Tyson's chicken or whatever it may be. That's instrumental and that's important. But if you own the S&P 500 or you own these investments, you're buying Tyson's chicken stock and you're buying Smithfield and LabCorp and these other companies that are considered cruel to animals. So understand that if you really want to have an impact, again, it's, it's through company dialogue, it's through proxy voting, it's shareholder resolutions and working with companies to say, hey, look, Let's make some change. They don't care that you didn't buy the meat because each week you're pouring money into your retirement accounts that are buying these products. So, you know, it's tough to say you're an environmentalist if you're supporting companies that are destroying the environment with your investments. But to give people a break, I get it. I've been in the financial industry for 20 years. I understand. I understand how to go inside the portfolio and start pulling these items out without impacting the potential return in your portfolio. Because at the end of the day, you still want to make money in your investments, right? That's why we invest. But at what cost and to, yeah, so at what cost? But again, if all things are being equal and all returns are equal, 
why would you not invest in companies that are trying to make the world a better place? It's pretty simple to me. But again, it's overwhelming for a lot of people. So they just don't do it. Um, instead, they go into Facebook and they complain about Tyson's chicken. And then in the meantime, again, in the retirement accounts, they're buying Tyson's chicken. I'm like, don't you see the irony in this? So mm-hmm. let's do something about that. And uh, yeah, so that's the basis for it. And again, regardless of the case, obviously, animal welfare is one that I'm, I'm passionate about, but it could be gender equality, privatized prisons, the environment. Um, now with the elections coming up, political contributions, what do you care about? What do you have a passion for? What do you want to change? And then let's pull out your investment statement. Look at what you have, see how those companies are aligned with your values and morals, and then make an adjustment or make a change. It's not that complicated to me. Um, but again, it's overwhelming for the average person sometimes. I think it's because you speak that language um, of, the, of the, I guess, the financial investing world. So it, it is more simple for you. But I think the concept is pretty straightforward. That was a, a nice explanation. With the book, I know it's called A Beginner's Guide to Socially Responsible Investing. So is that something that can really walk, walk people through or people that don't really you know, know a lot about their investments or how to take a look at their portfolio? Is that a good starting point? It is. And again, not to, uh, again, I'll, I'll pump it a little bit because I'm, I'm giving the book away, right? So uh, I spent a year writing it. Uh, one of my really good friends who is my editor, phenomenal editor, and we brought in a couple other people. So this is some cheap ebook or some garbage that I threw together. I put a lot of time and energy into it with no desire, honestly, to give it away. But at the end of the day, I thought, well, if you really want to make a change, if you really want to make an impact, do I need the the $10 from the book. No, I, I, don't, I don't need the $10 from the book, but I can't do this by myself. So if I can get this in people's hands, it's a simple tool. Like, yeah, your question, I get a so long answer longer. Your question is, yeah, it's, a, it's just a simple tool that people can go through. First, what's the understanding or what's the background on social responsible investing? How has it been used? How can you use it? And then how do you implement it in your own life? So it's pretty simplistic in that standpoint. It's a fairly easy read. I'm not the brightest guy you're going to have on your show. That's for darn sure. There's a lot smarter financial advisors out there and investors out there. But to me, it, um, it's, it's simplifying it for the average person to implement it. You can write books all day. If you can't implement it, it's kind of useless. So I'd like to think it's a pretty simple tool that you can get through in a few hours, right? Maybe it's a four-hour read. If you're a, a Somebody that's got a high reading content, you probably get to it in a couple hours. So it's not a deep read, but I think it's extremely impactful. The people that have re- read it and reviewed it right now, it's been, I've been super blessed to get the feedback that we've gotten. So yeah, it's a simple tool that anybody can use and anybody can implement. That's great. And it's, it's awesome you're giving it away free too, just to spread the, uh, spread the message. And I'll make sure that I, I know you've got a link for where people can go and get that free. So I'll make sure I have that in the show notes for anyone listening. Um, I'll hit a point quick because this is the one that I get a lot where this is always the, in in my opinion, uh, again, I've I've done a bunch of videos on the book and and just social issues in general. The number one question I'm always getting, which I tried to spearhead for the beginning of this is, is does it impact your returns? Am I, am I giving up returns by being Hmm. a social responsible investor? Now, you know, I'm, I'm probably the oldest one listening to this podcast, but younger folks, you can Google search it. But again, if you go Harvard Business School, London Business School, University of Oxford, Harvard Business Review, Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, Deutsche Bank, Fortune Magazine, BlackRock, Victor, all these companies have done oodles of research on um, how does social responsible investing impact people's portfolio. And I can summarize all those because Barron Magazine did reviewed about 2,200 of these studies, and they found that ESG and social responsible investing in 90% of those studies or 90% of those cases showed a positive correlation between corporate financial performance and at least no negative uh, relationship. So social responsible investing 
and 90% of the cases is likely positive and worst case scenario isn't negative, then again, mm -hmm. why we as investors would we not want to invest in companies that are trying to make the world a better place? So to me, I'm passionate about it because I don't know why we're not doing it right. outside of the reason that we don't know how. So here, get the book, learn mm -hmm. how. Now we don't have an excuse. Now we can go after some of these groups that are impacting our political elections. Now we can go after these groups that are uh, creating this harm in the environment. Now we can go after these groups that are creating deforestation in the Amazon. Whatever your passion is, gender equality, I mean, we, I go on and on, but whatever your passion is, whatever you have a, a, a belief in that you want to change, again, Facebook, useless, right? Oh, debating with your buddies on Facebook, you're wasting your time. Understand how you can use the investments that you already have. Again, most of the people listening have some sort of investments. They're saving for retirement, kids' education planning, or just investing in general. What do you do with those dollars that you already have in the market? I'm not saying you have to invest more. I'm just saying what you already have, how do you, like the magnifying glass under the sun, like how do you kind of force all that energy into like a little beam and make it worthwhile? And then again, passionately, I always say, then why aren't we doing it? Why aren't we doing it? I want to help with that. Yeah. It seems really simple. For people that maybe are new to investing in general, is there, are there, is there any kind of a tip or a or a guideline that you can give just to even get started with investing? And I know that steers the conversation a little bit differently, but for somebody who's new to the investing world, um, like how would you begin to invest in a socially responsible way? Aside from, you know, just getting the free copy of the book. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a good question. There's a couple different ways. One, I do, um, I do recommend working with professionals to some level, right? And again, I'll, I'll branch that out a little bit. I recommend just personally, that uh, you try to find people that are fee-based or fee-only financial advisors. They don't have a, again, I, I, I find their motives are aligned with yours in the sense that mm -hmm. as a fee-based advisor, the better my clients do, the better I do, right? So if they make more money, I make more money. They make less, I make less. I think that makes sense versus a commission-based advisor that they could put you in an investment. They make a 5 or 6% well, commission up front and then I hope, hope you do well. So that's just my personal face. So that's fee-based or fee-only, I think, is the way to go. If you're looking for some simplicity, again, there's a lot of great groups out there that have uh, like Green Century, uh, Parnassus. Um, there's a lot of groups. Again, you could just Google search social responsible mm. funds, and they've created simplistic funds for you to invest in. And you could even be more specific with those funds. Oh, I want um, environmentalist funds, or I want uh, gender equality funds, or whatever it may be. So it's not that difficult anymore. They've made it uh, a lot easier for folks, especially those that are just getting into investing. Uh, so I, I say those rules of thumb are, are, are really for folks that are just getting into it. If you've got a substantial portfolio, you know, a couple hundred thousand, half million, a million, things like that, then I definitely recommend maybe working with a professional on it because a percent or two difference in either direction can make a big difference. Um, but as you're just starting off and you're just starting to save, I think these these social responsible funds make sense. And um, and, and just to kind of branch off on that, we say social responsible investing, and that's Ah, it's it, that's branch. That term is kind of branching a lot of different directions, and, and, and not to bore the snot out of everybody if they're not bored already. But what you're seeing now is something a term called ESG, which stands for environmental and social governance. So just the concept in general. So for me, as a, a social responsible investor, what I do is I look at an investment. First off, it's got to be a good investment. Is it profitable? Is it you know? Is, does it meet all those fundamental analyses that you do just in general to say is this a, a good investment? Then. I go back and I put another screen through it, which I call an ESG screen. How does it stand up in, from an environmental standpoint? How does it stand from a social standpoint? How does it stand from a governance standpoint? So then it's got to go through that filter. So again, to me, it's another 
you know, it's an easy analogy to me in the sense of why wouldn't you want a great fundamental company already that's good for, for you to invest in and then run it through an additional layer of screens to make sure that it's even better. So to me, that's, again, just another validation of why social responsible investing makes sense. So I say that because as you guys are, are, are searching around for social responsible investing, you'll see the term ESG. And that's what it stands for. Again, it's just another filter that uh, fund managers are, are, are running these individual stocks do to create these um, ESG-friendly portfolios. That makes that sense. sense. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think you're right. I think when people hear these concepts, it's like, oh, yeah, why aren't we doing that? And then it comes back to, oh, wait, it's hard or I don't know how. And then, you know, everyone's busy and that gets swept under the rug. So I think it's great that it's great that you're here and you're talking about it um, and you are, you know, in general talking about it and, and wrote the book, because I think if more people understood how to actually do it and, and to understand that it's not that hard. Yeah. Why, why wouldn't we do it? Well, and again, you, you know, you, I give credit to a lot of groups that are behind the scenes doing this. Too, and, and, and folks don't realize what's happening behind the scenes, but if they understood what was happening behind the scenes, they may be more interested. So again, when it comes to animal welfare, which is, again, is, is one of the areas that I have an interest in, or just environmental changes. There's groups uh, like As You Sow or a number of other groups that are literally working behind the scenes. So let me take a step back. The, the moral of the story is if you own a stock, Okay, whatever that stock may be. And if, if you own it, each year at the annual meetings, there's some voting that takes place. Hey, we want to put this person on the board of directors. Okay, well, you don't have any women on the board. So if you're, there's a guy running as a stock shareholder, you could say, I'm not going to vote for that guy. There's where your power is. But most folks, just like a, a general election in some cases, think, well, it's just me. But there's groups like As You Sow and some others that pool a bunch of investors together to have some, some impact and have power. So you, your vote can actually make a difference. And that's how I view your investment dollars. Everybody should view their investment dollars as votes, right? And so together, again, groups like, as you say, we'll pool these investments to go, uh, investment dollars together and then go after these companies at these annual meetings uh, by putting on what's called shareholder resolutions that they say, hey, look, we want you to put some women on the board of directors or, hey, look, stop using plastic straws, you know, basic ones, uh, you know, Disney agrees to stop, uh, you know, showing smoking in films. Um, Chipotle announces 50% food and packaging waste diversion. So they're, they're forcing companies to stop using, you know, plastic or McDonald's to stop using styrofoam or, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, uh, Brinker and antibiotics or Smithfield and antibiotics and Sanderson's and antibiotics. So they're the ones that are creating this. So as people see like, oh, well, guess what? McDonald's is no longer using those old styrofoam wrappers. Why? Well, because... They didn't just do it on their own, right? They mm-hmm. didn't just make this change on their own in many cases. It's because shareholder resolutions and then people like people listening have stops in these companies and go and vote or do proxy voting, which they can do at home, that puts comp- pressure on these companies. Say, look, as an owner of this company, I want you to do something different, which again, makes all the sense in the world. I mean, another example is people are talking about uh, how much money some of these uh, corporate executives make. Well, then vote against it if you own the stock, right? Don't just complain to your friend on Facebook. Actually make a change. Say, we're not going to vote for this guy's wage. We're not going to vote for this. And you could actually make an impact. And so this is becoming, in my mind, the number one way that we can change society and have an impact in general is, again, by owning these companies and pooling our votes together and going after these companies and saying, enough of that. We're not doing this anymore. And here's how. And as an owner of that company, you actually have a say. So understand, everybody that's listening, your, your, your investment dollars are votes. And if you're not using them, they're going to waste. It's just an extra advantage that you already have. So again, people already have these investment dollars. They're just not using them to vote. Yeah. And again, I think it comes back to people probably don't know how. 
or don't know the power that they have with those. It's, I think a lot of times with investing, it gets automatically rolled through like our work 401k or whatever that is. Or you know, with me, like it'll get just goes into my Vanguard every month. I don't know what's in there. And I think it's probably that way for a lot of people where there, there's not this level of, of focused thought and, and introspection about like, wow, I, I do have a certain amount of power or this is where my money is going. So I think it's a really good awareness to bring to people of, of wow, we do have some power here and, and let's, let's use it you know, to, to create changes that are better for ourselves and for our children and everyone. Yeah. And, and here in the U.S., we're behind. I mean, with the lobbying power that we have, which is unique, okay? We just think every other country in the world is like, it's, it's not. The lobbying power that's in this company is having a major impact on the way that these companies are going or what they're able to do, right? So we're behind the times. So when you're talking about this ESG and social responsible investing, in a lot, a lot of parts of the world, Canada, Europe, it's kind of the standard. Um, mm-hmm. They consider it like... Uh, fiduciary standard almost. The UN even came out uh, a few years back and said, we consider this a fiduciary standard. If you're not doing this, you're making a mistake and you're not doing what's in your client's best interest. And again, the reason is there's tons of uh, the BP oil spill. That's a great example, right? So everybody probably remembers that. And I can remember watching on the news as BP pipeline is just pumping out oil under the ocean for, for months. Okay. If you were using social responsible investing, you would have seen all the warning signs and you would have taken that out of your portfolio in advance. So we're looking for evidence or uh, little markers that say, look, this is a problem. This is a problem. And there's a thousand examples of, again, how you can see these metrics and see how these are impacting a potential company's uh, risk factors in the future. But here in the U.S., you figure 2018, one in four investment dollars were in social responsible investing. One in four. Okay, that's about $12 trillion. So it's coming here. Uh, institutional investors are doing that. Those are the big smart guys with you know million-dollar staff. Um, so if they're doing it, you got to think, well, why are they doing it? What do they know? Well, they know that, again, using this ESG and this social responsible uh, format uh, and screening tools actually makes an impact in how well your company is going to do. Another simple example, and again, I think why it's important to this this demographic as well in general is, is right now we're looking at the largest wealth transfer in the history of the, the world. We're talking about $30 trillion that are being passed down from baby boomers and other generations to millennials. I think those are folks between 1981 and 1996. So if you're between born before 19, uh, 1981 and 1996, you got wealth coming in most cases, right? And now we're looking at, as of 2016, women control about 51% of the wealth in the U.S., 51%. So we know that these two groups are interested in being social responsible. So we just need to educate them. They need to know how to do it. They want to. So now they need to know how to. And that's, again, what the book is designed to do. And these types of podcasts and other videos that we've got coming out, et cetera, et cetera. So look, it's not that difficult. I'll help you with it. Because you folks are the ones that are going to make the impact. You are the ones that can make the change. And again, we're fighting against significant lobbying power in this, in this country that is really steering Politically, it's having a major steer. And then again, how companies are able to get away with what they get away with is because of this huge lobbying power. So we've got to do something about it. And again, I keep saying, complaining to your buddies on Facebook or ranting back and forth other people's posts, it's useless. You're wasting your time and stressing yourself out in most cases. <laughs> it's so true. Hit them in the wallet. Hit them in the wallet. Yeah, I think that's, that's all really good, really good advice. It's interesting that women control 51%. I didn't realize that. That's good to know. Finally, yeah, down with the patriarchy. Get out of here. It's, no. Yeah, right. Just, just kidding. Just kidding, everyone. No, and it's and it's and it's interesting too because and again, so these are some of the social issues. I, I just 
my eyes were opened up to, like, I, like mm-hmm. I said, my, my editor is a really good friend of mine and she was on the opposite spectrum than I was, but I was like, well, I'm, I'm open. And it just, I'm still open. I'm, I, I don't agree with everything. I find myself significantly more moderate to more liberal than I used to be, which I'm blown away the change in the last you know five years, let's say. But again, people need to be, people need to open. That's again, that my issue with these labels and putting yourself, I'm a conservative. Once you start saying this or that and you start creating these boxes around your, your, your thinking and your ideology and your diet or whatever it may be, I think you handy or you, you, you handcuff yourself to some of these things at the detriment to everybody and a lot most of the cases to yourself. And, and we know people in that area that are either extremely conservative or extremely liberal and you can't even have conversations with them. And that's just an issue. But this movement again, changed my mind uh, and changed my ideas on a lot of things. One of the ones that really it opened my mind up to is, is, is women in positions of power. Not that I didn't want women in positions of power, but I didn't, I said, like, just get the best person for the job. To me, it was always pretty simplistic. Who, who's the most qualified person? Get them in there. Now, I still believe that, but the, uh, the importance of having diversity in the workplace, not just the workplace, but especially in positions of power, now is, even from a selfish standpoint, it impacts how well a company does. So one of the popular, one of the uh, videos I'm working on now is like, even if you, if you want your company to make more money, or if you're an investor and you're investing in a company and you want that investment to make more money, well, then you better make sure that it's diverse. I mean, statistically, we know that if women are in positions of power, or at least three out of the five board members, that there's a, there's a correlation between that and how well the company does. And first, statistically, I'm like, well, that seems kind of strange. But when you think about it, it makes all the sense in the world. If I put... Uh, you know, if I had a, a group of a board members and five are women and five are men, and even even more diversity, you have some younger folks and some older folks. If you throw a topic out there, all of them are going to see it from a different perspective. You need that difference in perspective to really do what I think is in your company's best interest. Because you're going to tell, and just like my friend, she was pointing out things that I would have never thought of. So if I wasn't open or wasn't impacted by that perspective, I would have never made the changes I make. So take that to a corporate level. Uh, and one of the examples I love using is let's say a uh, blockbuster. I mean, gosh, me and my wife used to go to blockbuster all the time, could get our video. And you know, that was a big night. Like we're going to blockbuster. You know? and it was like, <laughs> yeah, blockbuster is gone. <laughs> I think there's one blockbuster left. Now they had a, an opportunity early on to merge with Netflix. Netflix, when it was just coming out, was like, Hey, you know, why don't we turn this into a streaming service mm. and this, uh, this online service and blockbuster was like, why on earth would we do that? I can't remember. I don't know the exact demographic of the board, but I always just imagine that it's like, um, you know, five old white guys. Five, yeah. Thank you. I don't want to say like five old white guys sitting around like, who's ever going to watch a video on their phone? That's stupid. <laughs> two, two years after they got that opportunity from Netflix, the, the CEO was like, Oh boy, we blew it. Mm. Now Netflix is one of the largest companies in the, in, in the world and blockbuster no longer exists. So if they had some younger folks on there, some women on there, just people with diverse perspectives, they might've said, well, I watch movies on my phone or that'd be cool. I'd watch a movie on my phone and the outcome could have been significantly different. So again, men and women view problems differently in some cases. And I hate to huge, use huge labels like that, men and women. But in, in statistically, you find that men and women can view problems differently, but just diverse perspectives are vital for change. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's interesting too. I didn't realize that there was actual statistical evidence that more companies with more diversity on the board or with people in positions of power were actually did better. That's that's a good statistic to to fall back on. 
I mean, we were researched about 22,000 companies in 90 and basically 91 different countries. So we looked all over the, the world for this. So the statistics are, are pretty abound. But again, the presence of more female leaders in top positions of corporate management correlates with increased profitability of these companies. Reason being is women are usually better problem solvers. Women are, are leaders are more trusted statistically, right? Mm. Women leaders are more collaborative. You know, a small example of uh, if you're looking at uh, women in, in the Senate versus their male peers, collaborating or working across party lines in greater numbers than men. It's just the statistical facts. So women co-sponsor more bills than men. They collaborate with other uh, the other political parties more. They're more open, it seems, statistically to work with other people to get it across versus men may not be so much. They're, they're like, this is it, and I'm sticking to my guns versus mm-hmm. how do we, you know, how do we work together? And again, please don't send me emails about, I'm not like that. I'm a man and I like to collaborate. <laughs> it's just a blanket statement from a statistical standpoint, but it's it's true. Um, women are usually, again, statistically better mentors. So all this makes the mm. workplace a better flowing structure than you got this hierarchy at the top and you just do what I say and do what I do and I don't want your opinions. We just know from a, from a business standpoint, again, just be greedy. I mean, if you're just looking at it from a greedy standpoint and I own a company, I want it to make more money, you better want women and diverse people on the board of directors and positions of power, regardless of what you think about that topic. It's just statistically factual. So, and that's why in most of the European countries and a lot of places across the world, they, it's a mandate um, that you have so many women on the board of directors because they know. As a matter of fact, last year in October in California, we're at, uh, uh, what it was, it? Jerry Brown signed a bill mandating that all publicly traded companies with headquarters in California must have at least one female board member by the end of 2019. So companies with five directors or more have to have two or three female board members. Why? Not just to promote gender diversity, which is important, because I also don't believe that you just fill roles with people. Uh, oh, she's a woman. Toss her in there. Right. Make and, sure they're qualified and can actually do the job. I think we all want that. You got it. But what it does is, yeah, it forces these companies to actually look outside the box and do some research to find these quali- qualified female candidates. These qual- you know, and, and that's important. So no, we're not just filling holes because people say, well, what if they're not as good as some of the guys they could have got? Well, that means they're not looking hard enough because then you're saying that there's no qualified female candidates out there. That's a ridiculous statement. So it's mandating and forcing these companies to look a little bit deeper and find these candidates, which I think is important. Yeah, I think it's important too. Yeah, and I appreciate all that. And I know you have, I know you've got a lot of other things going on right now too. You've got a YouTube channel, is that right? Is there, are oh, we ta- man. Yeah, I mean, you got five shows. <laughs> part two, part three with Big Brother. <laughs> yeah, we don't have to go into everything right now, but I did want to um, just whatever you're comfortable, because I don't know what all your release dates are with everything, but whatever you're comfortable kind of talking about to let people know like, hey, they could come and like see you on these YouTube shows if they want to learn more about um, socially responsible investing or um, any of the sure. other things that you're talking about. No, um, yeah, so we'll, we'll make this interesting. Let's get a little weird with it, right? So, um, so yeah, I, I got a million different balls in the air right now. And um, from a mental health standpoint, I feel like I need to maybe scale some of these back, and I've been doing a pretty good job at that. But my mind just never shuts off, and, and that's a, a gift and a curse. But, yeah, I've got uh, two YouTube channels right now. Both are launching. One just launched last week. 
Um, and it's, again, a, a bunch of these videos that I've created on gender equality, privatized prisons, animal welfare, and again, to promote the book and, and give folks an opportunity to get a free book. So listen to, you, listen to the video, hopefully it motivates them a little bit, and they click on the link and get a free book, right? And then I offer them, hey, you got the free book. If I got a free book on changing my oil, I may read it. I may not go change my own oil, but... If you want help changing your world, I also give them an opportunity. They can call me. I'm going to give them 30 minutes of my time. I don't want anything from them. It's not a sales call. It's a let me look at what you have working for you and see if I can give you some pointers or get you at least in the right direction. Or if you're working with an advisor, um, I'm very critical of other advisors. So if there's another advisor is listening, you know what I'm saying, right? If you're on the up and up and you're a legit guy and you know, or female, you don't care what I'm saying. But if you're not, look out because I'll call you out. Because again, it's a, it's a topic that people just aren't educated on. And I hear all the time, I'm like, well, how did you, well, I like him. I like, of course, they're salespeople, right? It, most salespeople you like or you wouldn't be working with them doesn't mean that they're doing a great job for you're not qualified. So I've created a bunch of videos on trying to educate people on that topic. Because to me, you know, again, especially I'm dealing with retirement planning, we're so caught in this world of, of work. And again, moving into like the mental health perspective, I guess. I just think that we have an extremely complicated world that my mind doesn't do well in, you know, paying our bills or taxes, each car registered, what about the flight? I mean, it's constant. I think all of us in the society are just overwhelmed and inundated by these little detailed things that we have to cut. Did you bounce your checkbook? Or what about this? Or now my card's not working. Now I've got to call the 800 number. It's like, holy mackerel. It's, it's nonstop. It is overwhelming. It's nonstop. And no wonder, again, back to the mental health piece is no wonder people are, you know, have uh, addictions to alcohol, cannabis, whatever it may be. We're, we're all suffering, I think, because we've created this complex society that's very difficult to navigate. I don't know where I'm going with that, but I'm already complicated with the navigation. But it's just complicated for people to navigate. So finance is just another one that I think people say, look, I'll worry about it later. And that just... I want to motivate people if you're listening, change that paradigm. And I know it's tricky, but that's why there's people out there to help you. You get one shot at this. And I tell folks, it's the three, uh, three outcome theory. It's, you know, one, if, you, if we're talking about retirement, just to use a simple topic, if you're trying to save for retirement, you got a couple options. One, you save. And when you get to this, what I call financial independence, that point in your life where work is optional. Um, one, you save and you have enough where you could live the rest of your life doing what you want to do and, and have the existence you want. Option one. Option two, you don't. And then I meet you later, which I've met more than I care for. Uh, if I could turn back the clock, I, I wish I was younger. I should have done this differently. Yeah, you should have, right? We waited way too long. Um, or option three, you die before any of this happens and it's not really relevant to you, but the people that you leave behind, if you're leaving folks behind, it's, it's impactful to them. There's no other option. There's three outcomes to this scenario, right? And only one of them are good. So why do we go to work every day? Why are we working our tushes off 40, 50, 60 hours a week? So at some stage in our life, we can get this financial independence. So why is it the last thing we're doing? Right. You know, why are you out landscaping this weekend versus figuring out if you're going to have enough money to retire? Uh, you know, you know, why are you still trying to find a blockbuster video that's open and they're all closed <laughs> versus calculating? Do I have enough to achieve these goals that I'm trying to achieve? So to me, it's um, again, we've created this complex society where a lot of these things get put on the back burner. And this to me is one of the one of the worst things to put on the back burner. So I'm hoping, again, using this social responsible angle, hits a passion point for people. We're like, yeah, I want to make a change. Mm -hmm. um, instead of picketing this weekend, maybe I'm going to get on there and find out, hey, do I have enough? And where are my investments going? Are they going to make an impact somewhere? So that, so I created a bunch of videos to tackle that topic and tackle social responsible topics. Again, gender equality, prisons, whatever it may be. 
the other channel I have is a fun one. It's called the vegan and the meathead. Uh, and that's going to launch, I think Monday. Exciting. Yeah, it's a fun project. I'm in the Midwest where being a vegan is probably not as popular as it is in California. I mean, I'm in the, the farm capital of the world, essentially, where, you know, factory farming and, and all these things that I just have an issue with. But it, it's, it's happening. It's ground zero here. So <laughs> I basically take one of my buddies who's a big, big beefed up, jacked up uh, meat eater, and I'm taking him to local plant-based restaurants to uh, show him, like, look, taste this. I mean, that's not so bad, is it? You're not going to starve to death if you take meat out of your diet. Um, and we try to do it in a fun, light way. One, so people, it's important for people to understand that we're being characters in it. So I don't get called like, hey, vegans don't do that. Like, you know, like, <laughs> relax, everyone. It's, it's just, just a character. A show. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just a show. And again, it's designed to make an impact. So I'll take them to animal sanctuaries and just show them statistics on hopefully it. And again, that's the problem. A lot of shows are just taking the vegans or we're, sometimes they're just going after other vegans. So we have the vegan science and we're just talking to each other. I'm like, that's, we're not accomplishing anything. All we're doing is saying, who's the veganist, you know, like, <laughs> oh, I'm more vegan than you. Um, it's like, all right, man, that's not going anywhere. How about we try to bring some outside people in? So that's what that show is designed to do. It's supposed to be entertaining and, and somewhat funny and again, educational at the same time. So Hopefully that that will pop off. And then I've got the book and I'm doing speaking engagement. So that is something that, uh, and I'm not trying to promote myself. I'm always no, looking. Please do. I'm yeah. asking you to. Yeah, I'll fly to you. I'll come to you. I just, I want to talk about this topic because I'm passionate about it. And as you can know, I could ramble on and on and on and on about it. So eh, sometimes I'm a decent speaker with it. <laughs> Yeah, I've heard you speak. Actually, you're you're a, a very good speaker and quite engaging, um, which is part of the reason why I wanted to have you on. So that's that's awesome. I'm excited to see the um, to see all of your YouTube stuff. I did watch the trailer for the Vegan and the Meathead show, and it's it's pretty silly. It looks fun. I like I really like that concept. Um, so that'll be fun. That'll be a fun one just to check out. I, I hope it. I hope it gets some traction. So uh, we'll see today. Um, again, we tried to do it on a on a shoestring budget, but I think for the budget that we spent, it's it's pretty solid. Um, yeah, so I'm I'm excited about it. And again, when that launches, uh, I, I hope people at least check it out and uh, find it entertaining. Again, somewhat uh, beneficial, especially the the restaurants here locally need some love. I mean, there's not a lot of us, um, so I just want to bring attention to what they're doing and the impact they're making, and, uh, promoting them in a fun way. It's, 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 uh, yeah, I, I'm excited to see where this thing goes. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on today, Stefan. Um, I feel like that was a lot of really good education. And I think investing is something I know for me, you know, and I'm in my early 40s now, but it's something, you know, through my 20s and my 30s, I really wish I'd paid more attention to. And I think a lot of the holdup in the, the blockage with that, which I, I say because I think a lot of my listeners probably relate to this, is like, I don't have enough money, I don't know how to get started. I can't afford to like go work with someone. So it's nice to have some of these concepts and topics broken down to just make it like an obtainable and it because it is a very important thing. I, you know, I work with a lot of geriatric and older patients myself and I would say across the board those with money have a better quality of life and that's a, a kind of a simple blanket statement but people who have prepared it doesn't have to be like the super wealthy but people who have like money and comfort and have have kind of planned a little bit more their quality of life is just better and you know I think being poor when you're or being lower income is is hard at any age but when you're older and you're having health problems and you can't get around and you can't get on the phone with your doctor it's so much harder, you know? So I, I really see the value in, in trying to make these changes early on and just not to be scared. I think it's intimidating for a lot of younger people 
at least it certainly was for me. So I know you've kind of helped me on a personal level with setting up some investments, which has been great. But just to you know bring this topic to light and say, hey, like you can do this. It's not that tricky or that hard. And you're giving Avenue a, a way for people to reach out to you too, which is which is really nice. So thanks. That was great. Very wow. uh, very educational and informative. We'll have to have another one where we can talk about the mental health piece, which is yes. a super important topic that I, 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 I rambled on too long about the, the social responsible investing. And I really wanted to get into um, just from a personal standpoint, again, addiction, which is what this show is about, my experience with it, my battles with it, and some of the tools that I've used to kind of help me and get past that so I can do some of these projects that I'm doing with a little bit more clarity. Yeah. So we'll have to do that, do that another time. Yeah. And I think that's, that's a whole show worthy of, of conversation. So yes, we will. It'll be fun. Well, thanks for having me. This is yeah. fun. Yeah. Thanks for coming on and I'll uh, post all the links and everything for people um, in the show notes so they can come and find you and, and check out the YouTube shows. And uh, all right. Sounds good. Before you go, tell me about your intermittent fasting. Give, give us a one minute update. So you just feel better about it. You maybe didn't lose the quote unquote, the weight that you wanted to, but yeah, no, I feel, and I think the big thing for me, the big recognition, and I said this on a Facebook live I did the other day was, um, I went off of the fasting cause I had a, a training course and then I traveled to a conference like two weekends in a row. So I was just off my normal schedule and busy. And I was like, you know what? I'm just not gonna, I'll try to kind of stick with the fasting, but you know, I'm just gonna eat and be fine. So I wasn't really I wasn't really doing it for probably 10 days and I just wasn't feeling that good. I was eating a little more sugar than usual too, but just being off of that schedule, I was feeling more sluggish, tired, it could just kind of more my stomach didn't feel great and then I came home and I got back on it and then like 3 days after I'd been pretty I'm not super religious with it. Sometimes I'll go 15, 15 and a half, not the full 16, um, but I try to stick with it, but I felt so much better after like not doing it and then coming back and doing it again. And that's what really sort of sold me on like, all right, I'm going to keep going with this. Just lighter, more energy. I'm sleeping better. My stomach like feels better. I don't feel bloated. I have less back pain, as I mentioned. Um, yeah, so I'm down. Honestly, I feel like my body is telling me that it really likes the rest from having to digest food all the time. Well, you look great. And again, Thanks. I'm super proud of what you're doing. Um, yeah, I wish people could see this. So you, and we talked about turning this into a video segment too. You know, we'd have to comb our hair this morning and all that, but um, <laughs> you look awesome. And don't be jealous. I'm two hours ahead of you, which means I'm about 45 minutes away from my first meal. And it's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Going to be awesome. So Thanks for having me, sis. I appreciate it. And again, just super proud of what you're doing here. And again, thanks for having me. That was, that was fantastic. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for coming on.